Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need money. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, senior analyst Andy Cross and Jason Moser. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, Chris. Hey. We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We're going to dig into the video gaming industry. And, of course, we have a couple of stocks on our radar. But we begin with some of the biggest retailers in America. We'll start with Walmart, which heads into the holiday season with momentum. Digital sales in the third quarter rose 79%. And Jason, shares of Walmart hitting a new high this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 no target, but hey, I mean, they they, they did okay. They did okay. Um, I mean, really, the hats off to Doug McMillan and, and the team there at Walmart for I think continuing to invest in Walmart's digital business and not just sitting still, right? I mean, they really are they really are moving, and I, and I think uh, we're seeing a lot of a lot of great results because of that. And and you know, I think another thing that we're seeing today, we we've always talked about. You know the Amazon threat and e-commerce, but really, I think what we're seeing—it's all about being omni-channel. I mean, we see that see that word bandied about a good bit, but but really, I think it matters because if you're that retailer that can have the physical presence along with the digital expertise, you can do so much more. And we're certainly seeing that with Walmart. It's kind of kind of been revived a little bit here. Um, I mean, the numbers aren't. Tech company numbers, but still, still impressive. Uh, top line was up 5.2%, 6.1% if you exclude currency effects. U.S. comps were up 6.4%. Uh, as you mentioned, the e-commerce sales grew 79%. And, and I think you know the interesting thing is there. Given the state of things today, it's understandable why e-commerce is doing so well. But even last year, the same quarter, those e-commerce sales grew 41%. So we're seeing some nice acceleration there, um, and, and it's something that's been performing well for a while. Uh, costs are coming under control, and, and in, interestingly, in the U.S., you're seeing trip consolidation. So so folks are going to the store less, but they're buying more. So we saw an average ticket increase of around 24%, but transaction decrease of about. 14%. So fewer transactions, but they're buying more. And that's kind of that pantry stuffing we've we've been hearing so much about. It seems like that's a be, you know becoming a little bit more of a thing here as we go into the end of the year. Uh, inventory levels are very healthy. Uh, they, they are in you know enthusiastic about the Walmart Plus offering. I mean, they're not really giving a whole a lot of insight there yet because it's still so new. But I, they just they continue to do a lot of really good things and uh, and, and you know the market is is I think you know rewarding them for that. Speaking of Target, Target shares also hitting a new high this week after a blowout third quarter. Same store sales up 20%. And Andy, as Jason sort of hinted at, their digital sales went through the roof. Yeah, Chris, digital sales are up 155%. That was a deceleration from a really strong second quarter of 195% growth. But that digital sales growth now equals half of their comp growth. And their comp stores, as you mentioned, Chris, up more than 20%, um, really accelerated throughout the quarter. Um, at the store comps itself, store just in the stores, was up 10%. That's a 4.5% increase in traffic growth, so a little bit different than what we're seeing in Walmart. And then average ticket size, um, up 15%. Um, so, just, so, for Walmart, it was up more than 24%. So, target a little bit um, less, but they're seeing still more traffic into their 
into their um, stores. Same day services like order pickup, drive up, and ship tea up 217%. 95% of their, all their orders now are fulfilled by the store. So they're really leveraging to that omni channel experience that Jason mentioned for Walmart. Target really leveraging that. They're seeing gained uh, market share um, in all five of their core merchandise categories. Sales per square foot was up 19% so far this year. They're gaining market share. They've gained the equivalent of $6 billion. Chris, in market share this year. Um, so really strong category growth in decor and kitchen, essentials, beauty, food comps, um, seeing a lot of strength in adult beverages, which I know um, while I have not bought any at Target, I certainly have ind indulged in a little bit uh, more uh, this year. Um, uh, earnings per share from their operating um, uh Business is up 46%, really nice, strong growth margins, gross margins. They're seeing exceptionally low markdown rates, Chris. So they're not marking down their products nearly as much as maybe they have in the past. And that's really been a boost from their business. Their operating margins expanded to 8.5% versus 5.3% last year. So they're going to resume their share buyback that they suspended earlier this year, and they have four and a half billion of that. So really innovations. They have a new partnership with, with Beauty Ulta. They have a new partnership with FAO Schwartz. They're going to offer 70 pieces of, of different toys um, for each of the under 20 bucks. And they're making loads of investment in their technology. So you have a business that is not priced all that expensively at 22 times earnings and 10 times operating profits, 85 billions in market cap. So and you get a nice little um, dividend to, to go and it's growing at 10%, Chris. So overall, Target looks to be in a really good shape right now. One minor quibble on my part, and uh, maybe this was too much to hope for, but Brian Cornell, CEO of Target, Doug McMillan at Walmart, we didn't really get a lot of color from either one of them in terms of what they're expecting this holiday season. Uh, like I said, that might have been a little too much to hope for, given how guidance has gone away for a lot of these companies, but I was looking for that. Yeah, they're expanding. You know, the Chris. One thing, like many retailers, they are expanding that Black Friday timeout. Uh, Target will be closed on Thursdays. They're going to open regular hours on Black Friday, but they are extending all of those deals um, and whatever the deals they are offering. Like I said, they're not really doing a lot of markdowns throughout the month of November into December. So really spreading that out to be able to benefit from the omni-channel um, operations. From general retail to home improvement, Home Depot and Lowe's both out with third quarter reports this week. Similar stories, Jason. Uh, profits look good, same-store sales up, uh, both are investing in customer and employee safety, and one more similarity, shares of both falling this week. <laughs> yeah, fell a little bit this week, but still doing well overall for the year. Uh, both companies' shares are outperforming the market and really kind of tracking each other pretty nicely. Um, in regard to Home Depot, it, it really does feel like short of an unforced error on the part of management. I, I just don't know what stops this train. I mean, this is a really, really good business that participates in one of the most attractive market opportunities out there, to my mind. Um, but if you look at the numbers, sales of $33.5 billion for the quarter, that was up 23.2% from a year ago. Uh, comp sales for the quarter were uh, positive 24%. Uh, comp sales in the U.S. were positive 24.6%. Earnings per share, obviously, uh, the growth there tracking with that performance. And uh, it, when, when it comes to these businesses, oftentimes we're looking, again, at, at the tickets and the transactions. Uh, the comp average ticket for Home Depot grew 10%. Comp transactions grew 13%. But the one, the one point that really stood out to me was that during the third quarter, big ticket comp transactions, those that are over $1,000, there was 23% growth there, which is just really impressive. I mean, People, 
you know, you go to Home Depot, you know you need something, even if you don't know specifically what you need, but you know you're going in there, you're preparing yourself to spend some serious money, and and, and that shows uh, through in that in that metric there. In with Lowe's, I mean, a lot of a lot of similarities there. Total comps uh, up just over 30 percent. They saw strength in DIY, the do-it-yourself, and the pro customers. Lumber has been a big driver this fall. I think with the warmer weather, we've seen a lot of activity out there. Uh, the pro business was up 20% for Lowe's. They're making a lot of investments in there, but they've seen, I think, how how big of a driver it can be for Home Depot, and they're wanting to participate in that uh, opportunity as well. Saw 106% growth on Lowe's.com uh, business, and, and when we talk about transactions and tickets, they saw transaction growth of 16.4% and a ticket growth of 13.7%. So very similar stories, very understandable why they're succeeding, and, and I don't see that really changing anytime soon. Uh, real quick, Jason, uh, before they came out with earnings, Home Depot announced they're buying HD Supply for $8 billion. They had spun that out uh, a dozen years ago or so. Um, you like this move? Yeah, I do. You know, I mean, I think I think with something like a Home Depot, you're owning that stock primarily for the dividend. It's not something where the capital gains are just going to be massive because it's already so big. Um, although it is it is a big market opportunity, this I think adds to that market opportunity, right? It's a 55 billion dollar marketplace as they see it. Uh, the maintenance, and repair, and operations that MRO uh, business it's it's a really attractive one, and we've seen a lot of success stories come out of the, of that uh, market in the past. And so bringing that into uh, Home Depot's Physical infrastructure, right? Giving them that distribution and that capability, I think, only helps them in the long run. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty good deal. Shares of Williams Sonoma hitting an all time high on Friday after digital sales in the third quarter rose a record 49%. Andy, we've been talking omni channel strategy on the show so far. Williams Sonoma has been doing this for a while now. And uh, even with that experience, you look at this quarter, it's impressive. Yeah, Chris, they started this a few years ago as they started to push, but it was very slow because so much of their business is still in their stores. I think um, pre-COVID, 80% of their business basically came from their stores. That's almost now completely reversed. As you mentioned, revenues up 22.4% to $1.8 billion. That was far ahead of the analyst estimates at $1.6 billion. Looking at their comparable brands, that was up 24%, and that was an acceleration from 10.5% in in the second quarter. So you saw growth in Williams Sonoma up more than 30%, Pottery Barn up more than 24%, Pottery Barn Kids and Teens up to the same about 24%, and West West Elm, their furniture business up about 22%. So the as you mentioned, the e-commerce business up almost 50% and an acceleration from the second quarter. So a lot of excitement going into that e-commerce business. Um, their store comps were down 11%, but they actually saw acceleration throughout the quarter, Chris. So it started worse and it ended at about a down a negative 11%. But what was really impressive is what this means for the for the profitability. Their gross margin saw four four percentage points increase, benefiting from lower occupancy costs. Um, offset by shipping and fulfillment costs as they continue to move more and more to that e-commerce. Their operating margin expanded to 15.6%. That's a record high and a double from last year. And their EPS was up 22% um, in crushed estimates. Um, uh, it was at the number was at two point two dollars and fifty six cents versus a dollar fifty six estimate. So really, a lot of initiatives that they put forth are starting to come into play, and they've been benefiting obviously as more and more of us have been at home and looking to beautify our houses, improve our decor 
core, and that's benefiting for West Elm. Interesting, Chris, they also have been investing in the business-to-business market, which they see as a billion-dollar sales opportunity from us for them. Right now, that's at about $300 billion. So, while most of their business is on the consumer side, they really are starting to push a little bit more into the uh, business-to-business. So, so, right now, things are looking good for Williams-Sonoma. $8 billion market cap, sells at six times operating profits and a 15 times earnings, so really not that expensive. You can't expect really high, super high growth, but you get a little 2% yield deal with it. Coming up, we go together like peas and carrots, like peanut butter and jelly, like investment banking and fried chicken. We'll explain that last one after the break, so stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Andy Cross. Intuit started its fiscal year off with a bang. First quarter profits for the financial software company tripled. Shares of Intuit basically flat this week, Andy, but it has been a good year. Yeah, revenue is up 14%. Chris, uh, earnings on the adjusted side more than doubled and crushed estimates. The guidance was pretty good at like 8 to 10% for the fiscal year. And um, Earnings per share at eight dollars and forty-eight cents at the midpoint. That's a that's ahead of estimates. They continue to see some nice growth in their small business and self-employed revenues. There were up thirteen percent. That's QuickBooks accounting was up twenty-eight percent. Their QuickBooks online business was up seventeen percent. International up fifty percent. That ecosystem. They continue to talk about the strength with that, and the small business was up twenty-four percent. A little bit of a slowdown from Q4 with some lower retention. That's something I'm I'm watching. Continue to make these big bets in AI and connect people and really become the center of small business for accounting and financial matters and they have the credit karma acquisition coming up and they're going to be it's going to be interesting how they how they play along with that so um, yeah a pretty good quarter for for into it but nothing that really light lit it on fire or was a really massive surprise it was a bad week for pharmacy stocks shares of CVS health Walgreens Rite Aid and good RX all falling on the official launch of Amazon Pharmacy. Yes, Amazon's newest service enables people to order prescription drugs, have them delivered to their home. And Jason, this is just one more thing built into Amazon's Prime service. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is likely an overreaction to an extent. Um, I mean, you look back to when Amazon made the Whole Foods acquisition, for example, and grocery stores writ large uh, shares plummeted. you know, they recovered. Uh, it took a little time. This is probably going to be somewhat similar to that. Uh, CVS and Walgreens, companies like that, they're, they're a bit more protected. They're big, obviously, have a very large presence within this industry, and, and they rely a lot on those pharmaceutical sales. Now, it's interesting with GoodRx, though. I, I think the selling in GoodRx was a bit more rational. At least, I, I understand it more. When you look at GoodRx and the way it makes its money, Makes its money from its core business from pharmacy benefit managers, right? It's it's a free product for consumers, and so why does that matter? Well, it matters because ultimately Amazon is looking at least to potentially cut pharmacy benefit managers out of the equation, right? Out of the value chain here, and and work directly with health plans and employers. Um, If if something like that happens, it it could certainly threaten GoodRx's revenue uh, stream, and and so I understand uh, the the trepidation there. Clearly, GoodRx's CEO feels like that's less of a competitive threat and more of a complimentary offering. I appreciate where he's coming from. It'll all depend, really, on if Amazon is successful with this initiative. And given everything that they've done and their expertise, I would not bet against them. 
Workday's third quarter results were better than expected, but the software company's guidance for the fourth quarter caused shares of Workday to fall a little bit on Friday. I, help me make sense of this, Andy. Well, revenues were up 18% for the quarter, Chris. That's a little slowdown from a 20% growth last quarter. Their subscription revenue, which is the bulk of their business, almost 90% of revenues, was up 21%. Again, a little bit of a slowdown. But like you mentioned, um, Chris, the the kind of guidance for the first for the for the fourth quarter of their fiscal year was for subscription revenue growth of 18%. That's a that's a deceleration from before, um, and the revenue growth of 22%. So, I think some of the concern though, Chris, was. More more on like not giving the guidance for fiscal year uh, 2022, and a lot of that is just because they're seeing this uncertainty around around COVID and around the expenditures, and and um, they provide the human capital resource management software. And with companies just looking to be very careful in how they're spending that, and clients they're signing up right now, and how much we'll continue to spend next quarter. So a little bit of concern from Workday on how much growth they will see next year, and I think that's weighing on the stock, especially as they continue to talk more and more on the conference call about that issue. Based in Georgia and specializing in fried chicken, Zaxby's is one of the fastest growing restaurant chains in America. And that growth will probably continue in 2021 now that Zaxby's has teamed up with Goldman Sachs. The investment bank is buying a significant stake in Zaxby's. For more on this, we turn to the Georgia native in the group, Jason Moser. Is this investment warranted? Uh, listen, I I think yes, okay. I mean, I know that I know that this show, you know, it, it all the conversation when it comes to chicken is always focused on Chick Fil A or the Jangler. I mean, Mac, you know, listen, as good as the Jangler can be, uh, Zaxby's doesn't get enough attention, and and I think uh, as as someone who's you know been to Zaxby's enough times, man, it's really good. Um, I I dare say I. I Think I actually might even put it above the Jangler. I know that sounds crazy coming coming from me, but but it, it's certainly possible. I can understand Goldman's attraction there. I, the biggest the biggest challenge is going to be trying to take this brand and grow it beyond its, its southeastern roots, right? I mean that's that was the big challenge for for Bojangles when when that company went public and and uh, you know they weren't really able to pull that off. Zaxby's is a bit more modern. It's it's a bit, bit more of a modern flair to it. So I think they probably could stand a better chance at it becoming a national brand. And you know, Goldman has a lot of money and a lot of levers to pull. So this is definitely a good thing for Zaxby's. And, and hey, it, it very well could turn out to be an IPO at, at some point here. And you know, hey, listen, I would be interested. <laughs> I was going to say real quick, Andy, you got to figure if Goldman Sachs is involved, uh, Zaxby's is probably going public maybe twenty twenty two. Well, it's been a huge hot IPO market this year, Chris. So maybe they hope to continue with that, and maybe it could bring some of that spice over to the to the IPO market too. All right, guys, we will see you later in the show. But coming up next, video gaming is not just for kids; it's for investors. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. You know, well, I'm a chicken fried and cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right, and the radio. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Gene Munster and Doug Clinton are the co-founders and managing partners of Loop Ventures, a venture capital firm that invests in frontier tech companies. Motley Fool analyst John Rotanti recently talked with the two of them about some of the video game companies they like best, as well as what they think of how tech giants like Apple and Amazon are investing in this space. 
But we'll start with Doug Clinton's bold case for investing in video gaming. I would say we we broadly have kind of three components to our thesis. Uh, the first is that games are becoming much more like SaaS software than they had been in the past. You know, you don't just go into a GameStop and you know buy GTA Five anymore, and and that's sort of the end of your relationship from a paid standpoint with the publisher. Um, people now there's in-game content that you buy. Uh, there are often season long subscriptions that you buy and there are multiple seasons. And so one game really can become this recurring uh, revenue mechanism that really wasn't the case in the past. We think about gaming five, six years ago. And if you think about the multiples of gaming stocks versus SaaS stocks, SaaS stocks trade at about a two X higher multiple right now than gaming stocks. And I think if that corrects over time, obviously uh, that gives tremendous upside to gaming stocks. We do think it should correct, uh, just like Apple historically was given a hardware multiple. And I think investors, and, and to Gene's credit, uh, he was the one who really noticed uh, the, the rift there um, and said that, hey, Apple should trade more like a SaaS company. Now it does today over 30 times uh, forward earnings. We think the same thing should happen in gaming. Uh, the second thing is that gaming is largely under monetized. And we went, we looked at uh, actually the cost per hour of entertainment for consumers. And uh, Netflix costs about 37 cents per hour for the average user, Spotify about 33 cents per hour. And Fortnite, uh, League of Legends, um, you know, the games that are free to play for the most part, they cost less than 16 cents per hour right now. So they're about half of what we see for Netflix. We think that that means they're very under monetized because people are actually more engaged with those games than they are with Spotify, than they are with Netflix. And so we think over time, those, those uh, sort of pricing rifts should, uh, should correct themselves. And then finally, our, our last piece is that games are the future of social networking. And if you think about Fortnite, I think that they are starting to show that future already. For millennials, for Gen Z, you know, they have really three places they spend time. It's home, it's school, and it's Fortnite. And now they probably don't even spend time at school. It's just home and Fortnite. And so I think as gaming becomes more accepted amongst the, the younger generation, they expect to have more interactive experiences uh, in, their, in their social world and to connect with their friends. And so we think the next Facebook, whatever that ultimately looks like, will be very game-like. It won't be this sort of scroll and look at pictures and, and just like things uh, like we see today. So sticking with you for a second, Doug, uh, Luke Ventures was a private market investor in Unity Software before it came public and had its IPO. Uh, so you've had a while to think about that business. What is your investment thesis in Unity? We we love Unity, and uh, you know I just gave you kind of our thesis on gaming. I would say that is piece one, is bullishness on gaming as an industry. Unity has what we think something like fifty percent market share. Uh, amongst you know non AAA in-house developed um, sort of 3D software for game developers. Um, point two is that that type of software creating these you know virtual environments, these 3D worlds that are are uh, you know movable and have motion and physics. We think that's very relevant for other industries like architecture, like manufacturing, and so we're starting to see these other types of customers, industrial customers, come in and use Unity software, and we think it's a huge market opportunity 
if you sort of comp it against Autodesk, Autodesk has somewhere around four or five million uh, annual subscribers to its software. We think that same size market opportunity exists for Unity in this sort of industrial opportunity that they're just starting. Go back to our curves. This is a new curve for them that they're just starting. Um, and then our third piece of the thesis is augmented and virtual reality. Something we've been bullish on for a long time. I think AR and VR has taken longer than a lot of investors have hoped, but we're still optimistic for the future. We don't know how long it's going to take until those technologies really have an inflection point. Could be five years, but when they do, Unity is really the tool to develop in AR and VR. And so we see that as actually a third curve if we keep using kind of our growth curve model that sits out after they start to uh, you know, penetrate this industrial curve. So we see kind of three consecutive curves for Unity and that's why we're still bullish. Three curves, better than two. So right. I, I love that. Gene, um, do you see a path to profitability, gap profitability? Uh, and if so, what is your rough ballpark of what you think Unity's operating margins or cash flow margins or whatever margin you want to give us could be? So the path to profitability is obviously dependent upon how big of a market these can be, these different curves and where they take off. In terms of uh, how to get there and how long that could uh, it'll take to get there, it's probably a year to a year and a half out of like uh, sustained profitability. And uh, that's just simply that those revenue growth rate numbers and uh, the amount that they'll have to invest in the business. Uh, I don't think that that doesn't change our optimism, that, uh, that, that negative piece around profitability. Uh, because ultimately this should be a higher margin uh, business. I think this should have margins that uh, are 30%, 40% type plus margins. And uh, you know, ultimately, if uh, we can get to uh, Microsoft plus type uh, margins, I think that the, the story will be rewarded. The key for us is less about uh, what that margin target is. It really comes back to some of those growth curves that Doug talked about earlier is that if we are right on getting that growth number right, this is something that we have uh, observed for a long time, is that we get that right on the, the top line right. Uh, I think that the bottom line will eventually take care of itself. In the case of Amazon, it's gotten the top line right. Uh, the bottom line has never taken care of itself, but investors are confident that that will eventually happen because the top line is so strong. And we think about unity, we think there's a similar type of a curve where it's just such an open-ended opportunity. So we're, we're comfortable uh, in this gray area around profitability, uh, lack of profitability in the near term because we believe strongly in the future. And if I would just wanna emphasize something that Doug had said earlier too about Unity, uh, that his third and final piece, you mentioned it too, John, about AR and VR, is that we're believers that this is, uh, uh, is fundamentally gonna change how humans uh, communicate and interact. and. It feels uh, maybe distant from reality right now, given the tech is still nascent. But if you're gonna kind of benchmark us, and let's say we come back in two years and we have a conversation about AR uh, in particular, I think that uh, the, the consensus will be that this is moving in a direction uh, more of the fabric of how consumers are using tech. And I think that Unity will continue to appreciate uh, as that reality starts to unfold. Doug, do you have another gaming company that really excites you right now in addition to Unity? Uh, if so, uh, what is it and why do you like it? 
We do. I'll give you two things. One is thematically, we love the esports space. Now, there's not really an easy public way to play that. I think the companies that we're most interested in in esports are still private. Uh, but the public company that we have been tracking very closely is Take Two. Um, if I tie that back to our comment around gaming and social networking being the future of gaming, we actually think Take Two has the best chance at being the publisher that ultimately delivers that network. And the reason's simple, they are, in my opinion, the best developer of digital worlds uh, of any game publisher. Look at GTA V uh, and, and just the GTA, I think, franchise in general, it is as close to you know, a real world as anyone's ever created. Um, you know, World of Warcraft, uh, that's, a, that's a different kind of world. Fortnite's a different kind of world. And I think that this social world that we ultimately want to spend more time in in the future probably resembles something closer to the real world than something that's more cartoonish. And so that's our bet on take two is, you know, whether they see it yet or not, we don't know. But I think over the next five, 10 years, they have a real opportunity to turn GTA into not just a game, but a place where people hang out, they interact almost like in real world. Uh, there's this fun little kind of social media uh, thing that happened in GTA five, which is by the way, a seven year old game, which is incredible. Um, during the pandemic, it was called Purple Gang, Green Gang. And so there were these like uh, makeshift uh, street gangs, essentially, of kids that you chose a side, you were purple or green, and you would go and you would sort of like rumble in the streets and you would, you know, do things together. And, uh, you know, not promoting uh, gangs in any way, but the idea of going into a digital world and sort of doing something with your friends akin to something that would be happening in the real world, I think is really powerful. And there's something there that I think is uh, worth digging into more as it comes to take two. Gene, Microsoft is really leaning into gaming. It has Xbox, Minecraft, Flight Simulator, and it recently launched Xbox All Access, which I believe gives users the Xbox hardware plus, plus access to over 100 games for somewhere around $25 per month. And then it recently spent $7.5 billion to acquire ZeniMax, which is the parent of Bethesda, which is one of the largest private game publishers in the world. Uh, so my question is, which of the other game offerings from the other mega cap tech companies excite you the most? Is it Amazon with Twitch and Luna? Is it Google with Stadia? Is it Facebook's new gaming offering for mobile? Or is it Apple Arcade? Twitch is the, uh, my, my simple answer. And part of the reason is that they're doing something that those other companies are not doing. I mean, they're ultimately trying to create titles and that's good. And uh, we talk about Take-Two and why we love Take-Two and, and their content and their titles. But I think what's unique about Twitch is just that idea of being kind of a venue, a platform and engagement piece, all the right buzzwords around this. And I still believe that if as we fast forward uh, over the next decade, it's hard to predict which titles are going to be the the hits it's easier to predict that the theme itself uh e-gaming uh, just uh, gaming as a uh kind of a core uh case for anyone under the age of 25 for entertainment um you know that is an easier path to predict and and i think twitch is probably the best uh suited to capitalize on that and then they could get in their own games too but just that the ability to bring everyone together, I think, is a massive opportunity. So if I had to pick one, it would be Twitch. 
Does Apple I'd be curious, Arcade? Doug, yeah, Doug's take on that too. We we haven't discussed it. What do you think, Doug? I'd rank it quick. Uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple. Actually, the order you gave it in, in my opinion, same reason. I think Twitch is such a powerful platform. People want to stream. Kids want to stream and get attention that way. I think that tie-in is really powerful. Google, to me, has uh, you know the ability to deliver incredible streaming for Stadia. And then Facebook, I think, has the optionality around pulling in your social network since it's already built out. I think that's their value add. We'll see how it plays out, but I, I would put Amazon at the top too. This is a rare chance when uh, Apple's at the bottom of the list of something, and I agree, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so does it matter? Is, does, is, does it matter that Arcade is not a big deal yet? Uh, in itself, it doesn't matter if they uh, continue to advance services and uh, other services that don't matter. I think another one that doesn't matter is Apple News. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I think they, uh, they they need to collectively add these up. The simple takeaway is it really doesn't matter what matters most. I don't want to get off the gaming topic. Matters most is their ability to build reoccurring revenue within their hardware. And uh, this doesn't have anything to do with Arcade or Apple News. If you want to learn more about what Gene Munster, Doug Clinton, and their entire team are up to, just go to loopventures.com. Up next, Andy Cross and Jason Moser return with a couple of stocks for your watch list. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here once again with Jason Moser and Andy Cross. Guys, the shack is back. Radio <laughs> Shack has been bought by retail e-commerce ventures. They plan to relaunch Radio Shack as an online business next year. Andy, just in time for Radio Shack's 100th anniversary. I don't know which I'm more gobsmacked by, that Radio Shack is coming back or that Radio Shack started in 1921. Yeah, started in your backyard, Chris. Started in Boston um, when uh, I think maybe a couple of brothers or started a, um, uh, an electronics store. So yeah, it's almost it's almost 100 years old. So I, I, this is actually if you Google Radio Shack, you'll see it pops up like a site that you can you can look at. But I think generally it's again more and more of this push, like we saw with William Sonoma. They're just they're move more and more um, retail companies are going to move online, and that's a huge um, advantage for their cost structure and allows them to be able to to um, provide very quick service without the without the over without the overhead so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out radio shack believe that they are some kind of brand there's some brand value in there I'm not sure how much this this firm paid for that but there is some brand value and what they can do with it is to be is to be determined and obviously there's a lot of competition out there we get all our so much of our stuff shipped directly from Amazon and and other players so it's not a not competitive space but if you're gonna do it with that brand this is the way to go all right, two quick announcements before we get to the stocks on our radar. First, next week, a tradition unlike any other, it's our annual Thanksgiving special. <laughs> so please stay tuned for that. It's the one show during the year where we actually have a sound effect. Second, 
If you've ever wondered which stocks Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner owns, good news, you can invest right alongside him in our Everlasting Portfolio service. It is backed by more than $10 million of the Motley Fool's own investment capital. And again, these are the stocks that Tom holds in his own portfolio. You can get more details on the Everlasting Portfolio service by going to fool.com EP, E for Everlasting and P for Portfolio. And listeners to this show get more than 40% off the regular price of this service. Again, go to fool.com slash EP. Let's get to the stocks on our radar. Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, is going to hit you with a question. Jason Moser, you are up first. What are you looking at this week? Sure. Yeah, it was a good week for Serence, ticker uh, CRNC. And uh, listeners may remember I've talked about this company before. It's the one that split off from Nuance last year. They focus on conversational and visual based uh, AI, artificial intelligence for the automobile. Uh, reported you know, another very strong quarter, record bookings. Uh, backlog is now greater than $1.8 billion. Uh, grew revenue 21% from the previous quarter. And one of the things that I've been keeping Keeping an eye on with this company was its ability to develop more recurring revenue streams. They get their, they do a great job of getting the technology in the cars. Then it really becomes a matter of, you know, going from that one-time transaction in, in, in developing more of a recurring revenue stream. And, and they're showing, uh, they're showing that they're that they're able to do that through their Serence connected services. They're signing some more deals uh, with with, uh, with with suppliers or providers there. So it's it's just. Another encouraging quarter. It's been a tremendous performer for us in, in both of the services that I run here at The Motley Fool. So, uh, very excited to see what the future holds for Serence. Dan, question about Serence? Absolutely, Chris. Jason, when it comes to automated driving, are you ever going to get in a fully automated car and let it drive you somewhere? You know, I. I I don't like to ever say never, you know. Um, I I would assume probably so, but you know, I actually enjoy the act of driving. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but I kind of enjoy driving. So you know, more I can drive, I, I feel a little bit better about that. Andy Cross, what are you looking at? Dan, Dan and Chris, a true. Radar stock because it's not yet public, but it did file its paperwork. Roblox, R O B L O X, has filed its S1 this week. I'm really interested in learning more about this business. It operates that free to play gaming and developer platform with more than 30 million daily active users. So many 9 to 12 year olds. They say two thirds of 9 to 12 year olds are on their platform. They have 18 million different experiences that you can, you can join. 31 million daily active users. That was up 80% from a year. Year ago, Chris, and um, hours played this year increased by more than a hundred percent to twenty-two point two billion, two point six hours per day, Dan. So I think Roblox, when it goes public, with the symbol of RBLX, will be one to keep on your radar. Dan, yeah, Andy, you're a dad. Any Roblox users in your house? Oh yes, I, I've tried to cut it out at one hour per day, but it's really that social platform, Dan. And so far, I'm I'm good. They're not up to two point six, and I hope it stays below that. What do you want to add to your watch list, Dan? Chris, you know I'm a big fan of those IPOs. I'm going with Roblox. All right, Andy Cross, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank that's going to do it for this week's Motley Fool Money. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. Our producer is Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.